Amen. Thanks, guys. And gals. Sort of one of those things we say in the West, right? We don't really mean just guys. So um, I sent my brother a text message or a, an email here a few weeks ago and said, hey, do you have anything on the book of Jude? And uh, he said, well, I'll check with a couple guys and I'll check with some, some preachers that I know. And uh, at first he said, you mean, you mean the book or the really long song by the Beatles? <laughs> um, you know, hey, Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. Remember to let her into your heart. Then you can start to make it better, better, right? Da da. So I, I was looking at that song, and I, there's those lyrics, and there's another, there's another chorus or another verse that says, Hey Jude, don't let me down. You have found her, now go and get her. Remember to let her into your heart, then you can start to make it better. And there are lots of ideas about what that song means and about who Paul McCartney wrote it about and all of that. And, and I found some interesting stuff. Um, did you know that the original version of that actually was Jules, not Jude? And they decided that Hey Jude sounded better than Hey Jules. It does, right? I mean, um, <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting. But if you look at those verses that I just read, and, it, and there aren't a lot of verses to that song. It's, seven, it's over seven minutes long. And it was really popular. I mean, it's got a catchy tune and all, right? Um, it originally started out as Hey Jules, but uh, it seems that the author is saying, go get her, whoever this Jude is, if, if it's just a, you know, a, pseudonym, a, a name that's, that's just, they picked out of the air and they didn't want to reveal who it actually was. But, but he's saying, go and get her, let her into your heart, make it better. In other words, contend for her, go fight for her, go, go get her. And, and really, that's what Jude is saying in the 25 verses of this book that we're going to be studying over the next six weeks. You know, that we need to persevere and contend for and in the faith. We need to fight for it. We don't need to just, you know, sort of mamby-pamby around and just kind of become doormats and that sort of thing. Uh, this biblical book, Jude, is talking about the most important subject on the face of the planet, and, and that's faith in Jesus Christ, which is second to none, second to nothing. When it comes to priority in life, it's got to be number one. Now, as I look back in the 25 years as a pastor, um, I only recall reading through the book one time, and it was after an elder meeting when Greg Desenfance mentioned that, um, that he read it while sitting in a doctor's office one day, and he said, man, there's some great stuff in the book of Jude. Have you ever read it? And uh, of course, I probably read it at a, during a seminary course at uh, Bethel, but but most often, it's just sort of tacked on, maybe even the last day of class in the later Gospels, uh, or the, the later New Testament, rather. And, and as I researched, I looked at some other well-known preachers. John Piper, in the last 30 years, has done three sermons total on the book of Jude. Um, Tim Keller, well-known author and pastor of Christ Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City, has not done one sermon 
or a series, not a single sermon in the book of Jude that I could find or my brother could find because he's the kind of, he's the one that my brother looked into was, was Tim Keller. It seems to be a neglected book. Well, no more neglect at North Hills. We're going to give it six weeks. Six weeks. Um, we will know the book of Jude inside and out. And, and I think it's good to soak in a book for a period of time. And, you know, we tried to, well, I didn't really try to soak in the book of Acts. We sort of jumped in and out of the shower every Sunday with the book of Acts because there's just so much there to cover, and I was trying to cover full chapters in a day. And, and I'm so looking forward to just taking a deep breath and letting the book of Jude soak in. So I want to, in your connect cards, in your worship folder, it says one of the things that you could choose to do is that you would commit to reading the entire book of Jude. You can tell your friends at the end of the week, I read a whole book of the Bible every day this week. It's 25 verses. I think we can handle it. And just, just again, um, when you start reading it, ask the Holy Spirit to show you what he wants you to see in this book, in this series, as, as you read it. And I think we will know, uh, I think our faith will be deeper and will have grown as we persevere uh, in, in life. We're going to see different subjects, and two of those subjects are contending for the faith and persevering in the faith. Now, Haddon Robinson points out that one old recipe for rabbit started out with this injunction, first catch the rabbit, says Robinson. The writer knew how to put first things first. If you don't catch the rabbit or kill the rabbit, you don't need to know what the recipe is. So there are priorities. We need to have our priorities correct. Someone once asked Tom Landry why he had been so successful as a football coach. And he said, he said this, and I quote, In 1958, I did something everyone who has been successful must do. I determined my priorities for my life. God, family, and then football. And you know what? You could replace football with anything in life. Work, um, husband, spouse, relationship, uh, entertainment, hockey, uh, whatever you want to put there. Uh, Tom Landry had it right. I, I read, I didn't put this in here, but I think I want to mention it. I read a, a quote from, from um, Mr. Kroc, the founder of McDonald's, and uh, they asked him the same question. And, and he answered it in a sim similar way. He said, uh, my priorities are this, God, family, and then McDonald's. And then he said, and when I get to work, I reverse them. And I thought, wow, that's too bad. Um, that's that's kind of sad that you would reverse those um, at any time. So we, we need to have the right priorities, and we need to contend and persevere, not just for things that we think are important, but for the right things. And we're going to see that Jude, Jude sort of takes the churches that he's uh, writing to um, to task on some things. You know, we need to have the right priorities. Uh, we need to know the right things. Now, uh, as we start out this morning, uh, Jude is found in between the book of 3 John and Revelation. So if you turn to the end of the New Testament and go back two books, you'll find Jude. And uh, we're going to, this morning, uh, let me read the first two verses. It says this, Jude a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Now, Jude 
covers a lot of ground. There's a lot of things that he talks about in these first two verses, and that's where we're going to sit for the day is these first two verses. Um, and, and generally, we kind of skim over the salutation, the introduction of a book, and we don't think about the words that are used there much, but we're going to do that this morning. Uh, first of all, he says in verse 1, Jude, identifying himself, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. So the first thing that I want to talk about this morning is the writer. The writer. The writer is Jude. Now, I want to give us a quick reminder that, that all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is useful for teaching. And the Holy Spirit guided the thoughts and the hands of Jude and the other Gospel and Old Testament writers as, uh, and, and has, I would say, preserved it throughout the course of history. The book of Jude was written, they believe, somewhere around 65 A.D., so so approximately, you know, 52 or 3 years after Christ, um, which, which would mean somewhere around 30 years after his crucifixion. Now, those are important things to know. The book of Jude was written when all, people that were still alive saw Jesus crucified and risen again. And, and if Jude says anything that they would have been opposed to, they would have opposed it and said, you know what, this just isn't right. This is not true. So who is the writer? The writer is Jude, the brother of James. He says that about himself. Now there's only one Jude in the New Testament who was a brother called James, and there's two references to him that make it clear that the two men were sons of Mary and Joseph and half-brothers of Jesus. So Jude is a half-brother of Jesus. Born of the same mother and then of Joseph, um, unlike Jesus who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, your notes say uh, Matthew 15, 55, but if you tried to turn there already, there is no verse 55 in Matthew 15. It's actually Matthew 13, 55. And it says this, Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Now, not Judas Iscariot, but Judas, formerly known to us as Jude. And one of the reasons why the New Testament translators used Jude instead of Judas so that we wouldn't confuse him with Judas Iscariot. Mark 6.3 says similar, isn't this the carpenter, isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they had took offense at him. Jesus is claiming to be God, and they're like, no way, we know your brothers and sisters. We know your relation. There's no way. But of course, later we see that it's proved differently. Now also, as a reminder, the James here, that is the half-brother of Jesus, is not the apostle James, who's the son of Alphaeus, Okay, who was one of the twelve who pioneered the church in Jerusalem and was executed by Herod. This particular James is, in fact, the half-brother of Jesus, who was also referred to as James the Just or James the Righteous, who later led the church in Jerusalem, and he's the James that wrote the book of James and starts his book in a similar way as Jude does. Jude was probably one of the first Jewish Christians to have fled Jerusalem during the persecution that started after Stephen was stoned to death. So he's a brother of James. Now, a question that I have, and I don't know if you've ever done this. I certainly have. If you know somebody that's kind of important 
you look for opportunities to sort of drop their name. Like some of you know that I play this silly game on my phone called Ingress, and uh, I, I, I'm going to name drop right now. Um, Last week, before Zach and I were thinking about flying to Moab, I'm watching the weather, watching the weather, watching the weather, wondering, what is it going to do? Is it going to be safe for us to fly? We didn't, in fact, end up flying because the winds on Monday in Rollins were crazy, and uh, the forecast for Friday and Saturday wasn't that great either, as you know. But I have a direct, direct message to Don Day. So I messaged Don Day and said, hey, what do you think? How's the weather look for flying general aviation to Moab, Utah on Friday and Saturday? And he's like, you know, I just don't think it's really that great. There's, there's some small waves that are becoming, coming through. And of course, you know, there's some, some like uh, weather words and stuff that I know nothing about. And, and I know there are people who say, you know, it's really not name dropping Don Day. I don't really trust his weather forecasts. But whose weather forecast do you honestly trust, right? I mean, it's rolling the dice. Um, The only thing they really get right is wind. It's going to be windy. Yep, got that one right. You know, and we're so thrilled when they forecast and it doesn't happen that we don't care that they were wrong. Why didn't didn't Jude name drop Jesus? He's his half-brother for crying out loud. Wouldn't that be great? I am the half-brother of the Messiah. Well, I think the next word, or actually the first few words there in verse 1 that Jude uses to describe himself, gives the reason why he didn't. Servant of Jesus Christ. Could you imagine growing up in his family and then realizing that this is the Messiah? I mean, Jude obviously had his life transformed by the Savior of the world to get himself to the point where he's not thinking about himself and the name that he's going to drop. He's thinking about his relationship to this, and he probably doesn't even recognize him as a half-brother anymore. He is the Christ, the creator of all things. And, and, And it's like in this introduction, he gets down on his knees and he's like, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. What a, I just think, an amazingly humble place for Jude to put himself. I mean, awestruck humility here. And, you know, I think that's good for us to think about. You know, we often say, well, you know, Jesus is a friend, and he refers to us as a friend, and and he does. But sometimes I think we can take that a little too lightly and a little too casually in the culture that we live in. You know, I mean, I've seen t-shirts that say, Jesus is my homie. You know what? I can't, I can't wear that. I won't. It just seems irreverent to me. And if Jude, the actual half-brother of Jesus, isn't willing to say, Jesus was my half-brother, but instead he says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ then I need to do the same. Humble myself before him and surrender all to him. Awestruck humility. Next, Jude writes this. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. So, second, I want us to take a look at the readers. Who who is Jude writing to? 
Well, we aren't given a specific church or group of people, you know, like Paul's letters to, to the Ephesians or to the Philippians. We're not given that specific of information. But it does seem that Jude is, is addressing a particular group because as, as we go through and as you study and meditate on Jude, you're going to see that there's specific things that he's tackling. But again, I want to remind us, and it's 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And, and I, I believe wholeheartedly that Jude's three descriptions of his readers apply to us as well. Here in the 21st century, he starts with this. To those who have been called, to Christians who are called, Jude is writing to if you are a Christian, you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, as you sit here today, he's writing to you. Anyone who has come to faith has been called by God. No question. Every Christian, and the Holy Spirit is working every day to draw people to himself. He's using you and me and others to do it. Drawing people to lead our hearts, to impact our minds, to transform us from the inside out. Our families, our relatives, those that we work with. In fact, the Bible says that, that even creation bears witness to Jesus Christ. And is a testimony to our hearts of the reality of God. And we will see in the coming weeks that one of Jude's key ideas is that God continues to call us. You know, it's, it's, not like you get a, it's not like your mother calling out the backyard and says, Supper's ready, and that's it. You either show up and eat supper or you miss supper. God continues to call, continues to call, continues to call. I would say many of us who have who would call ourselves a Christian, that, that it was not just one message or one conversation with somebody, it was a calling that God continued to call. And I would suggest that he hasn't stopped calling us to himself on this side of salvation. That he continues to call. And I think it even goes deeper than that. You know, the nation of Israel was called by God to be his people. So God has been calling. We, from, from today where you are in your faith in Jesus Christ all the way back through, through history in all of those years to when he first called Abraham. Jude definitely in these 25 verses makes a connection from today to the Old Testament times to God's Old Testament people. And we're going to see that. As a Christian, we stand in a line of succession that reaches all the way back to Abraham. We are the people of God, inheriting the same promises that he made to his people Israel. We have been called. The second word that Jude uses is loved. We are Christians who are loved. And many of us, you hear that and you think, well, of course. Of course, why, why do we even need to talk about it? Um, it's a no-brainer. Jesus died for us. The, the Bible says, and we know it to be true, that there's no greater love than one has for another than to lay down his life. That's what Jesus did. I, imagine, imagine how humbling it would be for you to, I don't know, need a heart transplant. 
And to have someone come forward who's, who's not, you know, using their donor card on their driver's license, but they're an absolute healthy person, step forward and say, you know what, I'm going to give you my heart. Now, let's say that that actually occurs. That somebody you know in your family or somebody else's family comes forward and that the medical community allows them to do this actually sacrifices their life for you. How would that make you feel? I cannot, I mean, I'm humbled when somebody buys my family a meal. You know, you go up to pay and they say, well, whoever was in here before, they, they paid for that. They, they paid for your lunch today. And I just, it's like, wow. It's really humbling to have somebody give a big gift. A gift of any kind. But the gift of their life, that's the kind of love that God has for you and for me. And, you know, the Bible says, while we were yet, what? Sinners. Christ died for us. It's not, you know, I don't see a lot of people that I know don't like me paying for my meals at restaurants. It doesn't happen. But Jesus... That's what he did. That's how we are loved. Um, Now, the literal translation, and if you have a New American Standard here this morning and and you're reading that, it it reads a little bit differently. It's it's a more literal translation. It says, "Beloved, beloved in God the Father. See, we're not just loved, but we are his beloved. We are his beloved. The Greek word there is agapeo. And, and that Greek word means enfolded by. We are enfolded by his love. You know, it's, it's, it's the difference between somebody in your family saying, I love you, or love you, you know, like a, a goodbye, as opposed to actually physically somehow showing you, whether it's an embrace, or a kiss from a spouse, or from a mother or a father, or, or, from, or, or from a father just doing something for you that's, that's totally unconditional and, and you're just like, wow, what, what a great dad I have because he did this for me. That's the love that Jude is talking about here, that God has for you and for me. And, and again, it is steeped in Old Testament Meaning, um, maybe, maybe Jude, as he's, he was preparing to write this, was, was doing his quiet time in the book of Isaiah. Because the book of Isaiah talks over and over and over and over and over about how Israel was called those who are loved. You are, the, you are loved. You are those who are loved. And I think we can identify in many, many ways with God's people, right? I mean, all throughout the course of their history, whether they were in their faithful times or their disobedient times, we can all relate to the Israelites at one time or another. Um, But they just knew that they were loved. And when you leave here today and this week as you read the book of Jude, please put that at the forefront of your mind. Know that God loves you. That you are his beloved. The one who would die for you. So we're Christians um, who are loved. We're called, we're loved, and then Jude says we're kept. We're kept. 
What, what does he mean by that? Well, it means that we're secure for the future when Jesus returns. We, we don't have to worry about, as a Christ follower, as one who, who has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, we don't have to worry when we take our last breath. We don't have to worry when we're laying on our deathbed. We don't have to worry if Jesus returns. He will keep us. There's no promise of prosperity or fame or even success in this, in that he will keep us. But if we do find ourselves poor and despised failures, we can know this. We can be assured that God has not let go of us and will never let go of us. It could feel like that sometimes, can't it? Jude is assuring us that when we see churches flooded with wrong teaching, and boy, do we see churches flooded with wrong teaching. When we see leaders that are out to make money out of peddling quack religion, that Jesus will keep a firm hold of his people. And, and it's only in Jesus that there will be safety. That's the right priority thing that I was mentioning earlier. It, that seems to be a problem that Jude is addressing and that we're going to see in the, in the coming verses. Jude mentions keeping four times. that God is keeping us, that, that we are kept. And for the third time, Jude uses a term that has deep Old Testament sources. Isaiah 49.8 says this, This is what the Lord says, In the time of my favor, I will answer you, and in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances. These three terms that Jude uses also seem to give us a Christian time frame. Okay, he says to those who are, he says to those who have been called, Okay, referring to God's gracious acts in the past. And then he says, who are loved in God the Father, which describes his gracious attitude to us in the present. And we are kept to Jesus Christ, kept for a wonderful future with him in eternity, whether that happens when Jesus returns or when we take our last breath. Called, beloved, beloved, kept. Now, you've probably observed already that Jude uses words and describes subjects in groups of three, and he actually does this throughout the book of Jude. In the 25 times, he does this multiple times. And so finally, in these first two verses of Jude, we have a prayer. It's, it's a common usage in introductions it's a traditional greeting form, and here in verse 2, we see him offering a prayer, and for the second time, he uses a group of three words. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Let's look at those three words in the prayer. First one, first thing he points out is mercy. May you, he's, 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 he's writing this on behalf of the readers that in, in, the, in the form of a prayer. May you have an abundance of mercy. Mercy. And Jude's going to cover this word more extensively at the end of Jude, but he's referring to the mercy that God will show us on the day when he judges the world and the mercy that he shows us today. 
I mean, persevering in the faith is a struggle. It is. It's hard. People say things and we don't want to say nice things back or, or people are unforgiving and we don't want to forgive others. I mean, it's a daily challenge to contend for the faith and the things that Jesus taught us. Jude is praying on our behalf that God will show us mercy. Now, as we work through this struggle, and I think it's good for us to, to pray this same prayer for one another, for those that are sitting next to you in your aisle, that are in your home, that are in your family, that are at your workplace, that people wouldn't just give in to the next greatest you know, idea about God or whatever, that, that, that we continue to persevere and contend with what the Bible says, whether we like it or not. I mean, let's, let's face it, there's a lot of things in Scripture that I really wish I didn't know. But we need to follow it whether we agree with it or not. Maybe it's old wives' tales or the mixing in, in their pagan knowledge and beliefs with what Jesus taught. Maybe they've been completely drawn away from trusting him in this moment and, and we are standing in the gap for them praying that God would have mercy on them and that he would reveal himself to them in a fresh way and they would, they would see that, that they've bought into a lie and it's not true and that it only seeks to destroy their life. Pray on the behalf of friends and family. God, please have mercy on so-and-so. Lord, help them to see. And, and Lord, help me to pray and see this situation in your eyes, not with just mine. Because, I mean, I can be wrong too. We need to seek and contend together. Have mercy on them. Jude is praying for us to experience an abundance of God's mercy. One day, George Mueller, not to be confused with Mueller, one day George Mueller began praying for five of his friends. After many months, one of them came to the Lord. Ten years later, two others were converted. It took 25 years for the fourth man before the fourth man was saved, and Mueller persevered in prayer until his death for the fifth man. And throughout those 52 years, he never gave up hoping that this one friend would accept Christ. And his faith was rewarded for soon after his funeral. This friend of his was saved. May we too be faithful in asking God and contending for our friends and God's mercy that it would be abundant on behalf of those that we pray for. Second Jude prays that we may that, that may you have an abundance of peace. How many times have we read about a church that's in turmoil because their pastor or some leader in their church seems to just go off the deep end theologically or biblically? Now, obviously, there's some turmoil in churches when people just disagree about things that can happen as well um, but I'm talking about and Jude is talking about um, things that people are teaching and holding to that are completely opposed to what Jesus taught 
I mean, people in positions of authority in the church are still people, right? (laughs) They still mess up. The power of sin and darkness and and temptation is very real. And as we study through Jude, we're going to see those who are destroyed. These are um, words that Jude himself uses. And are bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. And who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. For them, Jude will say, blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Those are some pretty stark and scary thoughts. And Jude is saying, no, my prayer is that there's peace in your life, not that. Peace despite the struggles that churches have, despite the struggles that leaders have. You know, God is that powerful. God is powerful enough that when there are other churches that we read about in our country or even in our community that are just, how could they get there theologically and in their interpretation of Scripture and it's frustrating and it makes us angry, but we need to recognize that God is big enough that we can still have peace in our own life despite of what Satan is intending to do over here. God is that powerful. He can and he will bring us through. We can hold on to the truth of God's word, even though there are large churches and organizations in our country that are teaching lies. They seem to be corrupting and misinterpreting God's word, and it worries us. But my prayer is that as we pray for them, that we don't get sucked into that, but that we still have a sense of peace that God is in control and he's big enough to handle this. May we experience an abundance of peace in our life. Not a false peace resulting from sticking our head in the sand, but a real peace, a peace that that will find us holding firm to the promises that God has made. The truth of Jesus Christ at the end of your life and mine. In 19, actually in 1555, Nicholas Ridley was burned at the stake because of of his witness for Christ. On the night before his execution, his brother offered to remain with him in the prison chamber to be of assistance and comfort. Nicholas declined the offer and replied that he meant to go to bed and sleep as quietly as ever he did in his life because he knew the peace of God. He could rest in the strength of the everlasting arms of his Lord to meet his need. May we have an abundance of peace in our lives as we are confronted with things in our world that seek to challenge and sway us from from the faith. May we Contend and persevere. And the third request that Jude makes on our behalf is for the abundance of love. May you have an abundance of love. There's that word love again. No brainer, right? I mean, Jude speaks of it here very specifically. God's love is expressed in his plan to bring us into his glorious presence. Jude is talking here about God's love for us uh, into eternity, loving us into, it's like a GPS system and a radar which provides an aircraft with a safe flight path for, for it's certain to guide us to our destination and alert us of dangers ahead that, 
as long as the air traffic controller is paying attention. But we know that God is. And Judah's praying that we would remain in the flight path, that we would listen to our air traffic controller, God, who is telling us when to turn and what, uh, what altitude to fly at to avoid some of those things that could hurt us. Jude is praying for us. We can't rest in the fact that God loves us or enjoy everything the gospel promises if we continue to just turn our nose up to the commands of God. It would... The way that I... And and I, I could be wrong here, but the way that I think about this is it's like, it's like your dad asks you to take the trash out and you don't do it. And then your mom l- later in the day says, would you please wash the dishes and you refuse to. And there are a couple other things that happen that they ask you to do, you know, um, clean your room, mow the lawn, things like that. And, and, or, or maybe you say, yeah, I'll do it, and then you don't do it. And, the end of, and at the end of the day, you ask your parents for 20 bucks so you can go out to the movie with your friends and you're totally dumbfounded and surprised that they say no. I mean, I don't, I don't want to come at this from a hyper sort of legalistic thought, but, but how on earth, why on earth would we expect the God of the universe who sacrificed his life for us while we were yet sinners, and then, and then us just sort of Take what he says just sort of carelessly. Judah's saying, look, this is serious business. There is weight to this. And it makes me uncomfortable to think about it in that way. But our disobedience puts a divide and an uneasiness in our relationship with God. my mom had, had volunteered me for something. I was not very happy that she volunteered me for this. And I found a way to be busy longer and not show up for it. It mortifies me to think about it even, actually. There was a missions conference at Bethel Baptist Church in Torrington, and my mom had committed me to play my French horn with her accompanying me at this missions conference. That same day, our student council had planned Christmas tree hunting in the hills of Pine Bluffs. And I drug my feet and drug my feet and drug my feet till it was too late to drive to Torrington, and I just didn't show up. Do you think I had nice, comfortable, easy, peaceful feeling when I heard mom and dad walk in the door that night? No. Look, if we're comfortable with our sin, there's a problem. And we need to take a step back and say, God, you need to help me see this. And you need to know that when you do, that Jesus isn't going to be like my mom and say, you made me look foolish and why didn't you show up and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. She was mad for a day, I think. She probably held it longer than a day. But Jesus isn't like that. 
which should humble us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And, I, and, and, and Jude says, I'm praying for you that mercy and peace and love will be in abundance in your life. And that that abundance of those things will give you strength to contend and to persevere in the faith. We're going to see that in the coming months. As the worship team comes up, I want to, uh, to read you this short illustration here. In 1972... NASA launched the Exploratory Space Probe Pioneer 10. According to Leon Jareff in Time magazine, the satellite's primary mission was to reach Jupiter, photograph the planet and its moons, and beam data to Earth about Jupiter's magnetic field, radiation belts, and atmosphere. Scientists regarded this as a bold plan, for at that time, no Earth satellite had ever gone beyond Mars. And they feared the asteroid belt would destroy the satellite before it could reach its target. Elon Musk has a car for crying out loud flying through space right now. Anyway, Pioneer 10 accomplished its mission and much, much more. Swinging past the giant planet in November of 1973, Jupiter's immense gravity hurled Pioneer 10 at a higher rate of speed toward the edge of the solar system. At one billion miles from the sun, Pioneer 10 passed Saturn. At some two billion miles, it hurtled past Uranus. Neptune at nearly three billion miles. Pluto, which isn't a planet anymore, at almost four billion miles. By 1997... 25 years after its launch, Pioneer 10 was more than 6 billion miles from the sun. And despite that immense distance, Pioneer 10 continued to beam back radio signals to scientists on Earth. Perhaps most remarkable, Jareff writes, those signals emanated from an 8-watt transmitter which radiates about as much power as a bedroom nightlight and takes more than nine hours to reach Earth. Radio communications were finally lost with Pioneer 10 on January 23, 2003 because of the loss of electrical power for its radio transmitter. It was over 7 billion miles from Earth. That's fascinating to me. It was referred to as the little satellite that could. Now, it was not qualified to do what it did. It wasn't even supposed to do that and live that long and go that far. Engineers designed Pioneer 10 with a useful life of just three years. But it kept going and going. When this article was written, there was probably no Energizer Bunny yet. It was only the little engine that could. By simple longevity, its tiny 8-watt transmitter radio accomplished more than anyone thought possible. So, it's, so, it, so it is when we offer ourselves to serve the Lord. We're not qualified. We're not. But God can and wor- will work even through those of us that feel like we only have eight watts to give. God calls and loves and keeps us.
And may God grant us mercy and peace and love as we follow him faithfully, contending and persevering. Let me leave us with this, Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 14. Not that I have already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. May we read that every day this week too in addition to the book of Jude. Contending and persevering to the end in all that we do, in all that we experience, with all of those that we experience and walk the road of life with. And we will be amazed at what God does. Let's sing this last song.